Last week, I started a series on Corinthians, and um, while I am not each week going to go systematically through the whole book, I am actually following on from the verses I spoke on last time, and, uh, but my, my goal is to dip into this book and present some highlights to you, that which I believe in the Spirit is particularly relevant to us in this church and in London, because I believe somehow we are living in a kind of Corinth. That's not to suggest that uh, you are, 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 are fleshly Corinthian believers, not suggesting that, but I, am, I do believe that we are seeing increasing pressure coming from our society to conform to the thinking of this world, the wisdom of this world, and we need more than ever before, ever, than ever before to stand strong in the Word of God and in the wisdom of God. And we're going to be looking at an area of immaturity that was uh, revealed here in Corinth, and it's to do with schisms and divisions and all kinds of stuff like that. We're going to look at how we need to stand strong in the unity of the Spirit, build towards the unity of the faith, and to build real community amongst God's people. So let's read verses 10 to 17 of 1 Corinthians 1. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, each of you says, I'm of Paul, or I'm of Apollos, or I'm of Cephas, or I'm of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. Let's anyone say that I baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. We're living in an age when the individual is king, when we believe we have the right to form our own values, our own judgment, our own opinions, our own morality, and our own doctrine. But the Bible shows us that God is a God of community. He is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Within the Godhead Himself, there is community. And He's made us in His image with this need for community, this longing for belonging, this longing for community. We were designed by God so that physically, emotionally, and spiritually... We need community for a healthy and fulfilled existence. And that means we need to be involved in meaningful relationships to build deep levels of constant community. Otherwise, we'll be in a continual state of, of intense loneliness and isolation. I think isolationism is a major problem in London. There's very little community in our, in our society in, in London. 
because of this individualism. But I want to remind you that God made us homo sapiens, not solo sapiens. And the community that God has for us is the rich, enduring fellowship that we are created to enjoy with God and with one another. And so the church is a community. In fact, it's the ultimate community. A book that has influenced me very recently is a book by Randy Frazee called The Connected Church. And uh, he says, the church is truly the one institution that has community as part of its strategy to achieve its mission, which is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And this is to be done in a community. You cannot be a disciple on your own. Discipling is what we do to one another and what we submit to one another in order that Christ might be formed in us right from the teaching teachers, teaching ministry of the church to the fellowship that we enjoy with one another. And that's why we have developed a cell structure. It's not perfect and it certainly doesn't automatically produce a community. You can have cells and there can still be no community. And so we teach the cell leaders how to build community so that we can really be connected to one another and have a sense of belonging and express that community outside of the main services, right where we are, in the cafes, in the bars, in the, in the places where we work, and in our schools, and so on. And this shows us, again, quoting Randy Frazee, God intends the church not to be one more bolt on the wheel of activity in our lives, but the very hub at the very center of our life and community. Now, because the heart of community is unity, it's no surprise that the enemy constantly attacks our unity. It's always under attack. And uh, a lot of people think they're very spiritual, and actually they're dividing the church through their own opinions, self-assertion, through their gossip and slander and criticism, or their high praise, hero worship of preachers. You usually find that people tend towards the one or the other. Highly critical. Oh, Colin died. Who does he think he says? Who does he think he is? Or, or, oh, Colin is so wonderful. He can't do a thing wrong. And everybody agrees with that except my wife. But no, anyway, the point, <laughs> the point is she really knows uh, uh, who I am. And so we're not perfect, but we are God's anointed servants to minister to you the Word of God, which means there should be respect and an openness to what the Spirit is saying and doing through us and not just us, but all of those that God has anointed and appointed to serve the body of Christ. But never, ever hero worship them. Where do contentions come from? Paul says, I know, and it's been told to me, uh, and I'll tell you my source. My source is Chloe. So if you think I'm just gossiping, go to Chloe, and he will support this. My, the word about you is that there are contentions among you. Now, there's a particular form of contention we're coming to. But I want to ask you, where do contentions come from? Negative, destructive, body-ripping contentions. Now, there is a negative contention, but you need to know that there are certain things we do need to contend for. So there is a positive form of contending for the faith. And I think of our brother Jude, who wrote one book in the Bible, Jude, one chapter. And in Jude verse 3, 
he talks about a change of heart, a change of mind that came to him. He was wanting to put pen to paper and write an encouraging letter to the believers to build them up and talk about the glories of salvation. But he wasn't able to do that because he saw that the churches were being torn apart by false doctrine and that the doctrine of Jesus Christ was in jeopardy amongst many of the churches. So in Jude verse 3, he says, Beloved, while I was diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. And so there is a worthy contention. We must contend for the faith and ensure that the purity of Christianity is maintained in our generation. And for a lot of us, that means we're going to have to ensure that the church is constantly being reformed and brought into, into line with God's revelation. That when Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of death shall not prevail against it, that we will have an insight, a revelation a good, sound, New Testament, biblical understanding of what Jesus meant when he said, I will build my church. And this will mean contending for the faith. Contending for biblical doctrine. How important it is that we must understand what the purity of Scripture teaching is. Not mixed with human ideas and philosophies, but truly understanding the pure Word of God. The doctrines of the Bible. And not just the teaching of the Bible, but the morality of the Bible. We need a revival of true God-anointed, Spirit-inspired, Scripture-enlightened, biblical morality. How we're to conduct our lives, how we are to, to, to bring our sexuality under the service of God's purposes. How to bring our lifestyles, our businesses, our home life, our family life even our recreation life, so that everything comes under the rule of God and we are living for Christ in a way that glorifies His name. Now, in all of these things, when we're contending for the faith, we must talk about the things which are central and fundamental because there, there is difference of, of opinion about certain secondary matters. Whether you are pre-tribulation, post-tribulation, rapture, rupture, or you believe in a great escape when it comes to, to, to the end times, some of those things are secondary. We must understand that there are different perspectives, and sometimes we are enriched by these different perspectives and different emphases, that not one teacher has all the absolute truth on every single detail. But when it comes to the solid, central, foundational teachings, the person and work of Christ, we must be united in the Scripture. The nature and being of God. Who is He? That He is a personal God who fills everything, whose presence is everywhere. The God who is in control of our universe. The God who is gracious and merciful. The God who is going to judge the nations of the world. The integrity of Scripture itself so constantly under attack. For people in their human wisdom do not understand how God could take imperfect people and produce a perfect Bible. 
How can he do it? God's word is purified. God has so worked through fallible human instruments in such an amazing way that what they wrote was exactly what God intended they should write so that we can trust every word of Scripture. Can I have an amen in the house of God? And it's not just about asserting these things. It's being able to show from Scripture, to show from history, to show from all the other studies that confirm this, that the Bible is the trustworthy Word of God and the major fundamentals of the faith. These primary issues we should work on to understand and be united around. But of course, so many people divide over so many silly little things. Um, I heard this, uh, this, this uh, story which was told some time ago and and I didn't remember it totally, so I went online, checked it out, and discovered that what I'm about to describe to you has been voted the best religious joke of all history, of all time. That's what the internet voting is. Mankind, Emo Phillips, and he was very clear that when people tell this joke, they should <laughs> say where it came from. So good on you, Emo. Here we go. Here's this story, right. Once he says, I saw this guy on a bridge. He was about to jump. I said, don't do it. And he said, nobody loves me. I said, God loves you. Do you believe in God? He said, yes. I said, are you a Christian or a Jew? He said, a Christian. I said, me too. Are you a Protestant or a Catholic? He said, a Protestant. I said, me too. What franchise he said, Baptist. I said, me too. Uh, uh, Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, Northern Baptist. I said, me too. Uh, Northern Conservative Baptist, Great Lakes region? Or Northern Conservative Baptist, Eastern region? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist, Great Lake region. I said, me too. Uh, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. I said, die, heretic, and pushed him off the bridge. <laughs> I mean, it's a joke, but it can get just that ridiculous when we see what Christians fall out over. And it has a tragic dimension, a really tragic dimension. It's one of the biggest scandals, the division amongst Christians. A friend of mine who I've been witnessing to and spending time with and talking about Jesus, over the years, every time I talked about Jesus, he came back just with one, thi one thing. He said, well, I was brought up in Northern Ireland and all I learned from Christianity was how to hate the Catholics. And that must have worked deeply in his heart because he resisted the gospel and now has become a Muslim. I wonder how many people are abandoning Christianity simply because of the divisions that are amongst us. So while there are some good things to contend for, for the main part, our contentions are not rooted in the love or truth of Christ. They're not made for the glory of God, but rather come out of fleshly pride, selfish ambition. And James has a lot to say about this. Plain, straight-talking James. Have a look at James chapter 3, verse
verses 13 to 18, James says, Who is wise and understanding among you? And so we know that so often contentions and arguments and divisions come from people who think they have superior knowledge and wisdom. So he says, Who is really wise? Who is really understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. If you have bitter envy and selfish self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and evil seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Isn't that the truth? When you find Christians fighting one another and not maintaining the unity of the Spirit, not seeking to build the unity of the faith and come around in submission to God's Word, willing to listen to one another and listen to the Holy Spirit, but when they're doing the opposite of that, whether it is in families, husbands and wives, families, whether it's places of work or fellowships or churches or cells or denominations. When this kind of bickering and quarreling goes on, you can be sure that somewhere there is selfish human pride, us trying to assert ourselves rather than submit to Jesus. But verse 17 says, The wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality, and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So Paul begins to move in on the divisions in Corinth. Remember, these divisions are rooted in immaturity. Some people think that the definition of maturity is who you separate from and how small your group is. So you're left with a handful of people and you're not sure about the rest of them rather than majoring on the unity we have in Christ. So what was their carnality? Their carnality was exalting preachers and dividing the church around different types of preachers. Their favorite preacher became for them a means of division. Following men, God deliver us. Of course, charismatic Christians are not at all guilty about this. They don't flick through God television and find which is their favorite preacher. And they don't flock to the other side of London, fill big buildings, whatever, whatever rubbish is taught, whatever heresy is put forward, so long as they're a popular preacher. Not so long ago, somebody stood up in London, very large crowd of people, having recently divorced his wife, and stood up and said, Hallelujah, I'm free to rapturous applause from the audience. Not everybody. How gullible and stupid can we be when we take our eyes off Jesus and do not hold ministers to account who are subject to the government of God and the word of Jesus Christ. Can I have an amen or just shall we say ouch? Okay. Putting them on a pedestal. Now, I don't think it's equally spiritual to tear them down all the time. But there is something that goes beyond godly respect and appreciation. Almost kind of hero worship. Almost a form of idolatry. 
in which we divide around these preachers rather than uniting in Christ. Now, some preachers court this kind of popularity. It's all about me. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. They do this because they're insecure and need to feel good about themselves. They need the applause and praise of men. But as soon as you seek the applause and praise of men and try to court this kind of response to who you are, you have caused them to take their eyes off Jesus. And that's a very, very serious thing. And it's around your need as a leader because you're so insecure. Why don't you go? I'll give you the name of a good Christian psychiatrist. You'll get your needs met when you come to Christ. Don't try and do that in your ministry. Others, however, are more cynical. They do it in order to promote their own ministry. Not only do they have outrageous publicity about themselves, but they actually believe it. God deliver us from believing our own publicity. Amen. Uh, and they use it to manipulate people, exploit people, to have some kind of control. And often, the motives are financial and self-glory. Now, this problem is not limited either to the first century or the 21st century. It's been an issue that the church has faced many times in history. And there is a delightful uh, uh, um, word coming from Martin Luther, who after the Reformation, when people were really turned on to the teaching of God's Word, there was a tremendous revival, and they were beginning to hero-worship Martin Luther. And this is what he said. Because you see, the church in every age is faced with a temptation to exalt certain people higher than they should. And he was the most famous Protestant reformer. And this is what he said when he saw the tendency. He said, I pray you, leave my name alone. And do not call yourself Lutherans, but Christians. Who is Luther? My doctrine is not mine. I have not been crucified for anyone. St. Paul would not that anyone should call themselves of Paul, nor of Peter, but of Christ. How then does it befit me, a miserable, <laughs> miserable bag of dust, and aches to give my name to the children of Christ? Cease, my dear friends, to cling to those party names and distinctions. Away with them all, and let us call ourselves only Christians after him from whom our doctrine comes. Now, that's not just to shoot down the... the uh, the Lutherans who, who, who use that name. But this tendency is in all our denominations. We might call ourselves Jeffreyites after George Jeffrey. But if there is a, who founded our denomination. But if we have a pride and an arrogance and a partisanship are built around that, then we are just as guilty. So God help us and God deliver us. Now when we look at the Corinthians, they had separated by gathering around certain key preachers that had influenced them. And they were now having factions and schisms based around these personalities. First of all, there was the Paul group. I'm of Paul. And, uh, and they maybe had some good arguments. Paul is the great apostle to the Gentiles. And are we not Gentiles? So Paul, Paul is our, we follow Paul. And uh, not only that, but Paul had founded that church. Uh, others said, oh, no, no, no. Oh, Paulus, not Paul. Paul. Paul can't preach. He couldn't preach the skin of a rice pudding, Paul. But Apollos, 
Oh, he's so eloquent. I love when Apollos preaches. He is so much eloquence. And when he preaches, it's exciting to listen to. And Paul goes on and on and on. And Oh, no, Apollos, he is this gifted, anointed preacher. Listen, friends, do not confuse the anointing with eloquence. There are many, many people, some of the, of the preachers who don't even preach Christianity, but who've departed from the faith, they are sometimes the best, the best communicators, the best preachers. And they have this popular preaching presentation so that people do no longer judge what is said and they, they don't discern any longer just saying, well, it sounds good, it must be good. Don't fall for that trap. This man was known for his impressive speaking ability. Now, he wasn't trying to draw people away. And he had this gift of eloquence, use it unto the anointing of God. But <clears throat> let us not think that we measure a person's doctrine and a person's anointing by their ability to speak. Then there were the Peter group. I like these. The Peter group. Who were these people? They were following Peter. Why would they follow Peter? Oh, don't you know Peter's got the keys? He's got the keys. We follow Peter. I think also it might have been because he was a gruff fisherman, a guy who just told it straight as it is. He was from the north of Galilee, and it kind of corresponds to our geography. I, I guess if he'd come from England, he would be a Yorkshire man. I mean, known for bluntness. Uh, we have some Yorkshire people. We have uh, Gabriel, who was uh, born in Yorkshire. We have Bruce, who was brought up in Yorkshire. And so we've got a lot of Yorkshire people. Uh, but Smith Wigglesworth was also Yorkshire. And I see a lot of people analyzing his sermon saying, oh, this man had an anointing for being straight talking. No, that was his Yorkshire bit. Yorkshire bit. I mean, I heard an eyewitness testimony of, of Smith Wigglesworth. And, and he was standing, uh, people coming forward for prayer. And he says, what's the matter with you? And he said, oh, it's my nerves, brother. Sit down, you ain't got any. And, and he didn't move them. I mean, that, that wasn't the Holy Spirit. That was Yorkshire talking, all right? And so Peter was a rough, uneducated, almost uncouth, tell it as it is, fisherman. And that would appeal to certain people and praise God for that. But they should never have made a kind of group around him uh, and divided around him. Then we have another group. These were the Jesus people. Oh, me? I'm not of Paul. I'm not of Apollos. I don't have to listen to them. I'm of Jesus. And Paul describes these people in the same negative way as the others. You would think that people would be enough to say, I'm a Christian, and you would have no pride. You'd have no partisanship, no party spirit. But the truth is there are some people who focus on this in a way and actually are dishonoring the Lord. Let me show you how it happens. Maybe some of these people would say, well, Jesus died for us. He has the gospel. Don't listen to Paul. People today teach this. A lot of liberal theology actually rejects the Apostle Paul and say it was Paul who messed up Christianity. He was the one who started talking about predestination, election, and, and, and substitutionary atonement, and, and he's not, we have to go back to Jesus. Jesus and Paul do not contradict each other. When G Paul spoke, he spoke under the anointing of Jesus. It was the revelation of Christ that Paul broke. There is brought. There is no division between Jesus and Paul. But in our generation, a new doctrine is coming. It is a perversion of the doctrine of grace. And some people say, you can't listen to Jesus because Jesus was a Jew. 
He was preaching under the law, the the Lord's prayer. It's not for us. Forgive us our trespasses. That's nonsense. That's Jesus' teaching. But Paul is the, the, the great master of grace. And so they take Paul's teaching and twist it and oppose it to Jesus. Friends, the revelation of God is given in Scripture, supremely founded on Christ and all of His apostles and anointed servants since who stick to the Word of God. And we receive them all, but we don't divide around them. So we need to learn to receive all God's servants, and, but our allegiance is to Christ. And let it be a warning to every preacher, every cell leader. We preach Christ, not ourselves. Amen and amen. It's what Christ says. It's what the gospel says. It's what the Bible says. Not what we say or we think. My opinion is totally irrelevant. I seek every time I preach to put my opinions on one side and to give you not the opinion of God, but the Word of God. And you have a responsibility to check it out and see if I'm successful. Amen and amen. That's how you grow in Christ. Hallelujah. Encourage you to do that. Another thing that can happen is this sin of denominationalism. Now, I am a denominational leader. I'm not just pastor of Kensington Temple. I'm regional superintendent of the London City Region. I'm a national te- member of the national team of Elam. Uh, and for all my sins, I have to go and deliberate on the affairs of the whole nation with respect to the Elam Pentecostal churches. It is an honor and a privilege. It means I'm a man under submission. I'm not doing my own thing here. I have to give an account to those who are above me in the Lord. Amen and amen. That's great. That's part of your security. And, death and God can use denominations. And many denominations are the overflow of the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm not speaking against that, but I'm speaking against denominationalism. Denominationalism. All right, the ism. And we can take a good thing and make it something around which we divide. And so we can have a pride of denomination. And we can say, we're the only ones who've got it. We're the only ones that write. Nothing is happening. The kingdom of God equals us. And so... Denominational leaders and local church leaders, we must keep our eyes on Christ and His kingdom. We are called to build the kingdom of God, not our denominations. Amen? Now, our Elam denomination is, is, is wonderful. And I, I think it's one of the best. But I'm very careful not to so have so much pride in who we are that we forget and fail to recognize the amazing things that are happening in the Anglican churches. Wonderful things are happening. The amazing renewal and turning to the Lord of many Catholics. In Poland, I saw it with my own eyes. More The people who came to the meeting saying, teach me, were priests, Catholic priests saying, we want to know more about the Holy Spirit. Wonderful things happening. And so these are not to cause division and to bring an exclusivity and schism in the church. But we humbly present the witness of what God has done in our lives and to present it to other groups and streams so that we together can build up the good picture of who Jesus is. Because Jesus is not divided. Amen and amen. So this sin of denominationalism, I think John Wesley had a revelation about this. John Wesley, he was the founder of the Methodist Church. We are told, he's recorded it himself, how he had a dream. It wasn't a vision, it was a dream. He was asleep and he dreamed. 
And in this dream, he was transported to the gates of hell. And he stood outside the gates of hell, and he called out to the people, Are there any Roman Catholics here? Yes, came the reply. Are there any Presbyterians? Yes, was the answer. Any Congregationalists? Yes. Then he paused and asked the $64,000 question. Are there any Methodists here? Yes, came the reply immediately. As he began to think about this, in his dream, he was transported to the gates of heaven, where once again he called out, Are there any Roman Catholics here? No, was the answer. Are there any Presbyterians? No. Any Congregationalists? No. Any Methodists? No. And he was puzzled. So he said, Well, who then is here? And the answer came back, Christians. Amen. Yes, give Jesus praise. It's coming a day when all the party denominations and separations will be done away with. One of these days we will see Jesus and everything else will become unimportant by comparison. So, Paul writes to these believers, he says, I want you to unite around your identity in Christ and your purpose in God. The purpose that God has expressly given you as the Corinthian church. Now understand this. There is only one church, the universal church of God with Jesus as the head, and that is made up of two categories of people, those in heaven and those on the earth. Those in heaven, we call them the church triumphant. Those on earth, we call them the church militant. Amen. But there is one body, one head, and his name is Jesus, and it consists of all true believers living and those who have gone on before. Hallelujah. But... What kind of meetings can we hold? You can't bring all those people together. So God has given another expression of church on the, body, uh, on the earth called the body of Christ. And that is the believers whom he calls together to live and function in a, in a locality as the local expression of the body of Christ. And it's these churches that John wrote to as a result of his revelation in the book of Revelation. You remember it? Uh, He was given a message to each of the churches. And so to this church, Jesus gave a message. To another church, gave another message. And so there was an individual message from Jesus for each particular church. There was something that they were doing right, something that he wanted to correct. So Jesus deals with churches in that direct way. But he also says to everybody, here what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And that's what we endeavor to do here. Take London. It's not exactly the same as the first century, but let's look at it in this way. In London, there's not just Kensington Temple. Of course, you know that. You know that. If, if, if somebody sitting next to you, don't, don't tell them because if they think this is the only church, you know. There are many wonderful things happening in London. Can I have an amen? amen. HTB, Holy Trinity, Brompton. Wonderful. But it's not a Kensington temple. They have a vision and God has spoken to them. And our vision, while it fits in with Jesus' plan for the city, is unique to us. As their vision is unique to them. Hillsong, wonderful, wonderful, unique to them. Amen? Other churches, uh, the redeemed church, wonderful, wonderful. 
but it's not a Kensington temple. And our differences are not for division. It is to express the unity through the diversity God has given to us. In other words, God has a vision for this house. And Paul says, God not only has a vision for you because you are part of the universal church of Jesus Christ, but God has something for you to do in Corinth and something for you to fight against in Corinth. He's commissioned you with a specific Corinthian mission. That's what you must fulfill. And so he says, I want you to unite around the purpose of God for his whole church, but also specifically around the vision that God has given you. Amen and amen. And so verse 10, he says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. Put it in modern language. I want you all to be on the same page concerning the vision that God has given you. And he says the same to us today. All speak the same thing. That there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together, connected together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Let's look at these things briefly before we close this morning. Number one, speak the same thing. What he means, he said, is he wants us to have a uniform or common testimony that we are united around the vision that God has given to us as a church. Amen. Now, the whole church has a common purpose, which is to know Christ and to make Him known. But each expression of the church, each body or community of Christ, has its own particular dimension to that vision, its own direction from the head. This is our common testimony. And I would love it that every single person in Kensington Temple was speaking the same thing. And saying, yes, we have a vision to take London for Christ. We have a missional vision to take the nations of the world. We are a disciple-making community. Our vision is to make mature and mobilize disciples. And our particular strategy is to do that through the small group vision so that we grow together and are equipped for the vision that God has given us in this house. Can I have a loud amen? amen. So he says, no divisions or schisms, please. Do not divide around the personalities of preachers. Let's receive the gifts and functions equally. Later on, Paul says, you've got to understand we all have had a specific role. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And there are different roles and different styles and different gifts and different flows. Don't think you know what my flow is because I stand here and preach like this Sunday by Sunday. I'm unrecognizable outside of the church as I flow in different anointings. Here, I focus on what you guys need. The pastor, teacher, anointing, that you are grounded and founded and taught and fed, not fed up, but fed. But some other places, they say, oh, the evangelist has come to town. Shh, don't tell them I'm not evangelist because I love it. I've preached in some great evangelistic rallies, and I have, I have done a kind of, you know, Reinhard Bonke Mark II. I tell you, people of Sao Paulo, it's fantastic. Because we can do whatever the Holy Spirit gives us to do. In some places they say, Apostle, the Apostle has come. And I, and I say, why do you call me that? They said, last time you came... You spoke this word and it changed our church and there's a new foundation and we're multiplying. And other places say, oh prophet, 
Prophet Colin, shh, don't tell them. Prophet Colin, why did you call me that? When you came, you prophesied a word. It brought down the government of our nation. I did? Yes. You brought down the government. You prophesied and you said, if this nation continues to align itself with voodoo, God will remove the government, raise up a godly government. That's exactly what happened. So they say, well, you're a prophet. Well, I, uh, I'm Colin Dye. I don't care whatever you call me. I want to do one thing. That's what God shows me to do at any particular time. If you want to know who I am, if you want to know who I am, I'm an enabler. That's who I am. That's what I call myself, an enabler. I want to see you enabled. I want to see you grow. I want to see you equipped. That's who I am. But how that operates is entirely up to the Holy Spirit who can give us the ability to do anything he calls us to do on any occasion. Amen and amen. Now give Jesus a big praise. Amen, amen. <clears throat> then he says, I want you to be perfectly joined together. A good word for this is connection. Joined together, perfectly joined together. In other words, I want you to be connected with one another in unity that you may cooperate, work together to fulfill the vision of God. I want to ask you a trick question. Be very careful because I'm being very tricky now here. Whose responsibility is it to grow this church? Okay, give me a, give, give, it's a tricky question, so I'm being very tricky. Whose responsibility? Okay, let me ask another question just to clear some doubt. Whose ability is it? God's. Whose responsibility is it? Do you really believe that? You don't think it's mine? I have to do it. Can I do it all? Bruce? Bruce and me together? Two or three? Is it? Gabriel? Our own resident angelic messenger? Yorkshire man? That's why he's so blunt. And he's the only one on the team, with the possible exception of Esteban, who's not shy. I'm so shy. Did you know that? Don't, I mean, no. <laughs> Bruce is even shyer than me. Did you know that? Oh, now, you be, you, who is at the nine o'clock giving away the answers? The, the truth is, for all of us, we thank God for our own personality. You know, we can't be different. We, we've got to be true to who we are. But when it comes to things like shyness or other things, we leave that. We crucify it. So I don't want my shyness to block the flow of the Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit is working, there's boldness. Boldness. It's not, it's not us. It's not us. And so the, the point is, is that it's, it's not even our responsibility. Our responsibility as leaders in the way I'm talking now is to equip you to grow the church. How are you going to grow this church in 2013? Okay. If it's your responsibility, then out of your mouth, you've witnessed it. Donc, nous devons le faire, n'est-ce pas? We have to get on and do it. Perfectly joined together. So this is, goes beyond the individual. Now, approaching God as individuals is important. You can't get saved. Because your family's saved. Your family's saved, your mom's saved, dad's saved, I'm saved. No, you have to believe for yourself. So we must individually lay hold of the things of God. It's our responsibility to walk with Jesus. Nobody else can do your Bible devotions for you. 
You're a very busy man, businessman, so you say, okay, my wife, you stay at home, you do the praying for me. I'm not going to pray. No, you have to pray. You cannot delegate your prayer life. You cannot delegate your responsibility to relate to Jesus Christ. So there's aspects of this individual emphasis, which is absolutely true. But individualism goes further than that. Individualism says, I don't need anybody. I, I, that God has given us a corporate vision. We are God's people together. So many commands in Scripture that we interpret individually are given in the corporate setting. So we need to know that God has called us to be community. And it's not doing away with individuality because our own individuality, our own uniqueness is a gift to the body of Christ. I see Jesus in every single one of you. And every single one of you reflects Jesus in a slightly different way. And when we put him together, put us all together, we have a fuller understanding of who Jesus is. But your individual gifts and anointings and abilities and desires and finance and all the rest of it is to be brought to serve God in the community of God's people, all working according to the gifts of the Spirit. Then he says, I want you to have the same mind and the same judgment. I like that. Because you see, he's not talking about mindless, blind obedience. He's not allowing you to be manipulated and controlled. You're not allowed to think for yourself. So I want you to have the same mind and the same judgment. In other words, I want you to search the Scriptures. I want you to listen to God so that you have the witness in your spirit that the vision of the house is what God is truly calling us to do. And you have an agreement. The body of Christ is very discerning. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And God lives amongst his people. And woe betide any of us that rejects the witness that's coming from the body of Christ. Amen and amen. So Paul says, I want you to come to the same conclusion. I'm not going to force you into this. I'm not going to cajole you. I beseech you. I implore you that you seek God and you get the vision from the Holy Spirit. Don't just do cells because there's some kind of subtext here. Join a cell or go to hell. That's not what we teach. But you join a cell. You're part of a cell. You're part of the vision. You witness. You evangelize. You train. You move forward in the things of God because you have been convinced by the Holy Spirit in the same way that the rest of us have. Amen and amen. So Paul is as much as saying, love God and love God's people. Learn to live in community. Stand united around the purpose of Jesus Christ for His church, the whole body of Christ, and for this church where He has caused you to be connected. Because when you're plugged in, then you can flow in the things of God. Your prosperity, your fruitfulness, your spiritual health depends on being plugged in to where God has placed you. Let's maintain unity and not allow division to take us away from God's purpose. Amen and amen. amen. Father, we pray for your people in this house. And before we do that, we thank you for the wonderful body of Christ, what is happening in this city. We thank you for and bless the body of Christ of all persuasions and all expressions. Bless the body of Christ today. And we pray for our house that you would put this house in order.
that we might flow under your anointing and fulfill that specific task that you have called us to do. Katika jinala yesu, in the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Give Jesus a mighty praise. God bless you.